What is up, cyber and crypto dudes and dudettes? Hope everybody's having a great week. Today is Wednesday, May 29th of 2019. This is episode 74 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed in this show are solely my opinion and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Hit me up on there. So to kick things off, tell you what, the crypto market last couple days has been amazing. If you haven't been watching the prices of Bitcoin, I uh, jumped another 800 bucks. Uh, we, we touched 8900 uh, right now, it's floating between 86 and 8700 for one Bitcoin. So definitely making some great upward progress there. Ethereum was also way up in the grand scheme of things. You can look back you know, to February of this year. Ethereum was in the low $100 range, and now it's at $273. So yeah, it's all moving upward. It's a good upward trend. Uh, Bitcoin Cash is at 461. You know, in February that was in the you know 200 range. So it's incredible to see the the turnaround we've we've gotten to at least thus far this year. Uh, one that I'm still kind of shocked hasn't really made that much of a resurgence is Ripple or XRP. It's at 45 cents, which is more than it was a couple weeks ago. It was floating around 36, 37, 38 cents, but still 45 cents. With as much widespread adoption as they appear to have, it's just surprising more than anything that they, I guess they're valued so low. They have so much market cap too. That's what's crazy. But anyway, 45 cents for Ripple. So that is up a little bit as well. We're almost to the point now where if you do any kind of mining, potentially this could get profitable again. If you do some GPU mining at home, we're getting very close to profitable range. When I was doing it, I had about 11 graphics cards running and, you know, my bill, my electric bill was an extra 200, 250 a month, I want to say in that range. So, you know, right now I've got five graphics cards running and I think it's, I think you're telling me I'm going to make roughly 80 to $90 a month with current prices. So if you double that, that's really close to that 200 mark. Because I had 11 graphics cards previously. So it's getting very, very close to break even. And if the price continues upward, this is for Ethereum that I'm talking about. But there are other things to mine for. But specifically for Ethereum, if the price continues upward, it could start getting profitable again. So that's good to see. I wonder how many people sold all their mining gear. I know I sold a bunch of it. A bunch of it died. (laughs) I started using it for other things and all kinds of other stuff. But I know so many people that sold off all their gear, and and I was one of the ones that was like, yep, it's just time to get rid of it. And I'm glad I did sell a little bit of it, because at the time it was just collecting dust. But now I'm I'm more curious, like the new graphics cards that are out, how much better are they at mining crypto? Are they any better, more efficient with power? I don't know. Haven't really dug into that yet. And I'm not sure how much I should dig into that either, because if Ethereum goes proof of stake next year... I don't really want to buy a bunch of graphics cards unless there's something else that you know, comes up that's equally as profitable as Ethereum. Uh, NiceHash has always been kind of right up there with Ethereum, if you're familiar with NiceHash. It's basically a way that you can uh, rent out your hashing power, and NiceHash turns around and resells it to somebody else that wants to use your hashing power to uh, you know, get whatever type of crypto that they're looking to mine. 
So it's kind of an interesting model that they've got there, but nice hash pays out pretty well as well for the same, uh, the hashing algorithm that Ethereum uses. So you can still make money doing it, but I don't know what the new graphics cards, as far as how much, you know, how many uh, hashes per second and all that stuff it's getting. I'd be really curious to check that out. Uh, if you do any mining now on new graphics cards, I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know your experience there. It'd be cool. Uh, so I'll get into some other news-related stuff here in just a moment as well. But today I wanted to touch on, for cybersecurity, I wanted to touch on a topic that's been uh, coming up quite a bit. And specifically, it's for threat hunting. So there's a lot of different... I guess, misconceptions about threat hunting. I've had people ask me, you know, can I do this as a business? Can I sell this to people, sell them threat hunting as a service kind of thing? And so I've got my own opinions about all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to get into that here in just a second. Threat hunting can have all kinds of different definitions. Depends on where you work, what you do for a living, as far as your role in cybersecurity goes. If you're, you know, the do-it-all kind of -of jack-of-all-trades person, then you're probably doing threat hunting as you're doing the rest of your other jobs. And so you may not be as focused on threat hunting as a specific threat hunting job where that's all you do all day long. Really, from from my experience at least, threat hunting is something that I do pretty much all the time. Anytime I'm working on a system and I see something that's misconfigured or I find something that doesn't look right, I immediately start looking at it. I don't say, oh, there's a threat. Let me come back to that. I pretty much have to stop what I'm doing and start investigating rather than sitting around and waiting and, uh, we'll, we'll put this in as our ticket and our ticketing system as a threat and let a, you know, let a threat hunter take this over. I don't have that luxury of having people that, that do the threat hunting. Um, it's kind of what I do built in with my job, but it's an ongoing thing. I'm constantly looking for those things, looking for anomalies, looking for things that are strange, anything that looks like somebody else could be in our systems. A fancy word for it is indicators of compromise. Any sign that somebody's in your systems, anywhere, no matter what you're doing, if you see that anywhere, that's something that I jump on at least immediately because I want to make sure that somebody's not in there that shouldn't be. So far, I've been uh, mostly lucky. I've been at a lot of different clients and found that uh, you know the things that I thought were threats ended up being false positives. So that's good in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, it's an ongoing thing. It never stops. So I could be setting up, you know, brand new firewalls of some sort. Let's say Palo Alto firewalls somewhere. And while I'm setting that up, I'm still looking around for other misconfigurations. And if I see a misconfiguration, something else I do is say, okay, I see this is set up wrong now. What would I do to exploit this? Where would I hide? And those are the things I start looking at. And that's where I start, you know, thinking like a hacker and say, okay, if I was, if I found this loophole, I would get in here and I'd go over here to hide. And then I'd try to run, you know, these various things to discover more devices that are vulnerable so on and so forth. But threat hunting is is a an ongoing thing. And to me, it's not something that you could really sell as a service. I think that was probably the weirdest question I've had in quite a while. I'm sure you could if, you know, if you can contract somebody out to do nothing but threat hunting. I'm sure, yeah, that, that could be technically done as a service, if you will. But, you know, you can think about using a sim as threat hunting. Threat hunters would use a SIM as part of that as well. Um, So if you already have a SIM, you're already doing some threat hunting, if you look at it that way. Obviously, there's ways to 
you know, make sure your logs don't show up in various places. And you can't always pull every log from every system, but that's a great place for threat hunters to start. So I guess technically, if you sell somebody a, a SIM solution and you're monitoring their SIM, you could probably get away with calling it threat hunting. But, you know, really, you're not, you're all you're doing is going off of the cues from the, the SIM. You're not really looking around at other misconfigurations. One of the things I always do is go through, you know, just randomly pick, you know, whatever it is, a, a firewall, a server, it doesn't matter. Randomly pick a device, log into it, and just check the configurations. And, you know, just run a, run a few different scans on it. Run some in-map scans, see what ports are open. Run a vulnerability scan, see what you can come up with. You'd be surprised when somebody clicked the wrong button and accidentally left telnet open or something crazy on one of these devices it does happen and so those are the things that real threat hunters are doing they're not just looking at a sim and saying oh i got an alert at least in my opinion there should be a lot more to it it's a lot more of actually looking around and snooping around and seeing if you can actually find something and hunt something down versus waiting on a log to come in and having the sim alert you to something. So threat hunters would follow a pretty big and detailed methodology. You know, you'd have everything kind of laid out on what you would do, how you would do it. There's a lot more to it than just getting an alert and acting on some alert from a sim. Threat hunting is also not for the faint of heart. You have to be extremely diligent. You have to be a person that never quits because that's essentially what you're doing. You're constantly hunting for something that may not even be there, but you're constantly looking. And it's tough. It's a tough job, but certainly a cool job. We're seeing a lot more of that in the cybersecurity space as far as people getting hired to be a threat hunter. So that's really cool stuff. But again, if you're jack of all trades, sort of like I am, you're kind of doing threat hunting on the fly. Uh, you're getting alerts from the sim, which is not true threat hunting, but all the random stuff that I do, I look for threats that way. But again, that's jack of all trades guy. If you're going to do it right, you'd have some sort of methodology behind it. You wouldn't just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants like I do. <laughs> you'd actually have some sort of structure there on, on how you want to do it, what you want to do, what to look for. Uh, all the indicators of compromise that you would possibly think of. And, you know, just make sure you've got that methodology worked out. And obviously leverage tools like a SIM to, to help with that threat hunting. But anyway, uh, could you sell it as a service? I, I really don't know. Maybe so. Just seemed like a weird question. All right. So on to some news-related topics. As far as the news go, I will start with crypto. Crypto markets have been... <laughs> Doing pretty good here over the last couple of days and couple of months, really. But a few big announcements here recently. Uh, one was from a company in Asia. They're doing the live testing in-store payments using Ripple, uh, their product called XCurrent. And it's used in the MoneyTap app. So that's pretty cool. So Ripple's making, uh, making quite a big name for themselves. Quite the wide range of adoption they just keep keep getting better and better and bigger and bigger it seems like i saw a guy on twitter a really cool guy to follow um he looks at all the charts and whatnot and kind of gives his opinions and analysis on various cryptocurrencies and their current trends and his analysis on ripple uh was basically saying it's very bullish right now and you can see at the he's got the 
like a three-year graph essentially pulled up on this screenshot here. And he shows the trends, and you can see where it goes way, way, way up, and then it comes back down to Earth, goes way, way, way up, comes back down to Earth. And so that's where we are now. We're back down to Earth. So he's saying that it's got a bullish trend right now because it's likely to go back way, way up again. So by all means, don't follow my... <laughs> my trading advice i'm just going off what people on twitter say uh, obviously you want to do your own research there but i'm certainly a big fan of ripple and they're still very very inexpensive you know 44 46 cents whatever it is pretty inexpensive to get you know several hundred of them or even a thousand of them and just kind of sit on it you're not losing that much money and if those thousand you know ripple that you're sitting on if it goes up to 10 bucks you know, you're doing pretty good. If it goes up to a hundred bucks, then you're you're really loving life. Some other interesting cryptocurrency news: uh, some of the big four Irish banks are now using Deloitte's blockchain technology, uh, and they're doing this to verify employees' professional credentials. Talk about crazy, right? So they're using blockchain not just for transactions and, and exchanging money. Now they're using it for verifying professional credentials. So that's cool. So if you get like a certification or a degree and whatever, uh, they can verify verify it using Deloitte's blockchain for that. So pretty interesting stuff there. Very cool use case. I had no idea Deloitte was even doing that. So kudos to them, especially getting some of those big four banks over there in Ireland. That's, uh, that's some pretty big stuff there. All right, some other crypto news. We're seeing a lot more of this, and there's a, a new lending platform for crypto. It's called Bitbond, and essentially you can you know get a loan from them. And uh, I thought this was really crazy because the market goes so up and down, and for them to be able to issue a loan to somebody on whatever currency it is, I think that would be extremely risky. But uh, I don't you know I don't know all the ins and outs and how they're planning on doing this, but it got approved by a regulator in Germany, so they're going to go ahead and move forward with it. They raised almost $4 million, so pretty interesting stuff there. I'll, I'll keep following that one to see where that ends up. But the company's called Bitbond. Start doing some lending there in, in crypto. There are some other companies doing lending already in crypto. I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but there's certainly others out there, so not just this one. I thought this one was interesting specifically because it was approved by a regulator uh, in Germany. Germany, so kind of caught my eye there. All right, we're going to jump over to cybersecurity news. I saw an article the other day about the uh, Chinese military, and they're going to replace all of their Windows operating systems for fears of U.S. hacking. Apparently, they're going to move to all Linux-based operating systems because they're afraid the United States is going to hack them. I thought that was kind of funny more than anything, but I, I would think... I mean, yes, Microsoft is a United, made in the United States. It's a USA-based company. But China has every opportunity in the world to infiltrate our systems. So if they're so worried about the United States doing this to them, it makes me kind of wonder, what are they already doing to us that we don't know about, you know? There was that big hoopla about those uh, motherboards that supposedly had a chip on it that was sending data back to China or whatever it was. And that was a big to-do and turned out to be nothing in the end, but made me think of that when I saw this article. So that's pretty funny to see that more than anything. You know, we get so much stuff from China, electronics, 
clothing. I mean, you name it. And so they, they would have every opportunity to bug any of those electronics. And so far, we've only banned one, which was, uh, I believe it was Huawei, I want to say. Got banned by Trump. Now, of course, I can't remember the name of the company. But regardless, Trump did ban one of them, but there's so many others still. I mean, Samsung's over there, uh, plenty of others too. So they're switching to Linux, and Linux, you know, is getting a lot more market share here too lately. So that's good. Some other privacy-related news here. I uh, Apple was sued over allegedly selling iTunes data without customers' consent. Of course, this is allegedly. Nothing's been decided yet, but that's. That's really interesting to see because Apple touts how privacy focused they are and, you know, they're so worried about protecting the customer. And here they are potentially selling iTunes data without consent. So that's that's kind of funny more than anything. Microsoft is also teasing some new update features and supposedly they're going to do what they're calling, quote unquote, seamless updates and essentially they don't require a reboot. Uh, I replied back to the person that tweeted this and said, what, like Ubuntu already does? <laughs> Ubuntu has a live patch feature where it's already doing this, so Microsoft appears to be jumping on that same bandwagon. And I think that's great because rebooting and taking stuff down, especially critical systems like web servers and database servers, having to reboot those things just to run a patch, you know, it's painful. So if we can get around that somehow and still patch everything... But not have to reboot. Hey, that's that's a great step forward. It's going to minimize downtime as well. So that'll be cool. They're still kind of teasing it. It's not official yet, but uh, they say it's coming. So that's cool. All right, some other privacy-related news here about a, a license plate reader firm and how they got hacked. And, of course, data was leaked out of their systems. You can imagine how many license plates they've got in their database. And then, you know, they pull personal information, I'm sure, on all of those license plates. And, you know, that's just a ton of people, I'm sure. The company is called Perceptix. They're based in uh, Tennessee. And, of course, the hacker posted all the contents on the dark web. Yay! So they, the, this company, Perceptix, they supply the license plate readers for the United States government at the Mexican border. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty wild. The attacker leaked 65,000 file names and accompanying directories, including files that contained location data, zip codes, presumed government clients, dates, timestamps, Stamps, uh, image files, and other sensitive data that amounted to hundreds of gigabytes of information. It's a pretty big one there. Nobody's safe. What's interesting, too, about a lot of these articles that say that there's a leak or whatever. I was thinking about this the other day. How much of this stuff is just somebody hunting around on Shodan, you know, and finding an open port on Shodan and then going out there and looking through it and see if they can actually get into something? Shodan's great for that. You can use a free account with them and you can find every web server on the planet by just typing in port 80 and let it do its thing. It'll bring you back all those results. I just wonder if somebody's just out there 
tripping over this stuff. Like, oh, hey, look, look here. I just got into that. But what's also frustrating about a lot of these articles, too, is they say so-and-so got breached and all this info was leaked, but they don't say how. They don't say what happened. And I always find that part of it the most interesting. How did the leak happen? How did they get hacked? You know, what did they do to, to contain it? You know, what are they doing moving forward? Those are all the things that I like to hear about. Posting another article talking about a data leak is pretty much mind-numbing at this point, and I don't think anybody really cares, but I would care if it had the details as to what the hack was, how they got in, all that kind of fun stuff too. So I don't think that'll happen anytime soon, but I can have wishful thinking, right? All right, some other news here about Linux. There is some new malware uh, for Linux systems. It's called Hidden Wasp, and it's been targeting Linux systems here lately. So you don't see a lot of this, but with so many Apache servers on the web and the vast majority of those running uh, Ubuntu or whatever as the primary operating system, I'm not surprised that this is happening. But they're saying that this malware was created by Chinese hackers. And what they can do if, if they infect you with this stuff is they can remotely control the infected systems. So pretty crazy stuff. It's essentially got a rootkit, a Trojan, and a initial deployment script. So pretty wild stuff there. And you really don't hear of a lot of antivirus software for Linux either. And I do kind of wonder, as Linux is getting more and more market share, will there be more attacks against it? Sure, I'm sure there will be. Uh, will there be more antivirus that comes out for Linux? I would think so, but of course I don't know for sure. But I think that's interesting to see there. A lot of the stuff at AWS, for example, is uh, Linux-based. If you spin up a little instance to run a web server or whatever, even if it's Amazon's version of Linux, it's still Linux. So it, just because it's so lightweight, super simple, it doesn't require a lot of resources and you can spin them up in seconds. So people do that for all kinds of stuff, you know, hosting a little website, hosting a dashboard, whatever it is, running some sort of job, you know, any kind of stuff like that. So found that kind of interesting as well. All right. The last thing I was going to touch on for cybersecurity is Google. They are apparently going to block all of the ad blockers from their store. So folks that use like uBlock Origin and whatnot, you would no longer be able to use that. I thought that was pretty wild to see. I don't understand their reasoning behind it, nor did the article say what the reasoning was. But if you like Chrome and you like to block ads, here's my uh, advertisement for Brave. Brave Browser does all of that stuff for you, and you don't even have to have a plug-in like uBlock Origin. It just works out of the box blocking ads. So if you still like ad blocking stuff, might switch over to the Brave browser in the meantime. People are still fighting it, so they may back off of that. But so far, they're saying they're going to remove that stuff from the store. So I wonder, too, I mean, you could probably still manually install those, even if it's not in the Chrome store, I would guess. Um, somebody will find a way around it. That's what I'm getting at. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. But switch over to Brave, and you won't have that problem. All right, that's it for cybersecurity. Also wanted to mention on the podcast here that I don't get paid anything to do this. This is just for fun. I don't accept sponsors because I want this to be an unbiased opinion. I don't want somebody paying me to tell you that their product is good. I'm hopefully giving everybody the most unbiased opinions that I can. That's why you don't hear me advertising. You 
don't hear me putting up commercials. Uh, I try not to do any of that. And, uh, you know, I just want my, my podcast to be authentic and hopefully not trying to sell you on something. So most of the other cybersecurity podcasts that I've listened to are sponsored by some product. And, you know, they've got commercials in between and they have to interview people from the sponsored company and all that good stuff. So um, I don't do that and I never will. I just like to give my honest opinions and my real world experience and just hope that that helps somebody else out there. All right, that's all I got for today, folks. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. That's CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Hit me up on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles that we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon.